Over these number of weeks, if you've, um, if you've not been with us, we're looking at the three M's, which are the kind of core of who we are as a church. Uh, they, oh, I'll turn switch it off. They are as follows, meet God, meet friends, and make a difference. And this, these, phrase, these phrases need to kind of encapsulate who we are as a church. And the idea is, as we've said before, if you're chatting to a friend and they say, so what's your church about? You have these kind of quick and easy ways of explaining, hopefully, what we are as a church. But we're exploring them in a bit more detail over the next number of weeks. And we've been looking at the first of these, meet God, over the past couple of weeks. The first week we looked at who God is and we looked at Trinity. We want to be a Trinity church. And then last week, Lisa led us in. We want to be a worshiping church about encountering God. And today we're looking at We want to be a disciple-making church. And so we go back to that original mandate that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, where he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you've been at SBC for any length of time at all, um, we hope that you've picked up that discipleship is an incredibly important uh, topic, theme, and focus for us as a church. And so some of the stuff we, we will say that I'll say today, you, you won't be surprised by, hopefully not. You, you will have heard some of it before. And we don't uh, make any excuses about repeating it because it is incredibly important. And it's interesting speaking to a number of other church leaders around the country, a number of other church organizations, Christian organizations. Um, they're talking about discipleship being the priority for the church in these next kind of number of years. So we want to be disciple-making disciples. But what, is it, what does it actually mean to be a disciple? It's one of those words. I was at a meeting um, of leaders yesterday, and we were looking at some uh, words of which discipleship was one of them. And uh, one of the guys there just went, that's a rubbish word. <laughs> and he went on to say that every word that we had chosen to use was rubbish because it comes packaged with those so many things. So what is a disciple? Is it just one of those 12 long hair hippie guys who hung around with Jesus, always putting their, their, their kind of size 12 boots in it or sandals? Was it just those guys? Well, there's understanding of what a disciple is. And first of all, we know that disciple means a learner of some sort, a pupil, uh, a uh, kind of learning stuff, and that is, that is true. Uh, as a disciple, you learn things, you have to read, you have to study, you have to kind of follow teachings. That's correct, but that's only part of it. And another understanding of this sense of disciple is summed up by Alan Sugar in The Apprentice. Actually, being an apprentice to someone is being a disciple, following on-the-job training, so to speak. Uh, and that's, that's, a concept, that's kind of a picture of what a disciple is, kind of learning on the job. We see that from the disciples with Jesus, that they were learners, but they were also apprentices. But even more than that, we discover in Jesus' call of the disciples something which is even more significant. We discover it in the call to this random assortment of essentially Torah school dropouts. These guys who were fishermen, who were tax collectors, who were localized terrorists, that kind of thing. And Jesus goes to them and says these words, Lech Acharai, come follow me. 
It was the phrase that would be used of any rabbi, by any rabbi, to um, the best students around who kind of learned the Old Testament off by heart, knew all the commentaries off by heart, were the best of the best. The rabbi would go that you've passed all the exams, come and follow me. Jesus goes the opposite way and chooses, as I said, the Torah school dropouts and says, come follow me. So the idea of a disciple is a follower. And this was literally true for rabbis and and disciples in the first century where uh, a disciple would literally follow the rabbi around. And there are stories, I'm sure we've mentioned it before, of disciples following their rabbi into the toilet because they wanted to know every aspect of their life. Lisa and I are not supporting this theory. (laughs) Okay? Even though one time... Well, actually, we do have to check quite often that our battery <laughs> it has happened in the past, and we're not going to do it again. <laughs> it was about sharing their teaching, yes, but it was about sharing their lifestyle. It was about sharing their life and following them. And there was a, a, a phrase in the Midrash, a blessing, the follow, this commentary on the Old Testament that says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be walking so closely to your rabbi that the dust of his sandals kicks up over you because you're so closely attentive. That's what the blessing was. May you be following your rabbi. So there's so much more than just merely learning, teaching, and repeating. I want us to look just very briefly here at Mark chapter 3, if you want to look at it. It's um, verses 13 to, uh, to 19. And it's where Jesus calls apart from all the people who are kind of following him. He calls these 12 um, separately. He says, it went up, Jesus went on a mountainside and called to them those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12. Simon, he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, he gave them the name Sons of Thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, another James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, and we know what happened to him. What does Jesus call them to? What does Jesus call them to? He does not call them initially to preach the good news. He doesn't call them initially to go out and go demon busting. He calls them first and foremost to be with him. That's his call. He he appointed the twelve that they might be with him. And from there to go out and preach and have authority to drive out demons. Called to be with Jesus. And then you go out from there. We're called to be with Jesus in order to become like Jesus. We become like him because we spend time with him. And it's interesting that there are two words that are used for disciple in the New Testament. One is a verb, and it's methanos, and it means to disciple. And the other is methetes, which means to be a disciple. The verb to kind of to, to disciple someone occurs 25 times in the New Testament. The noun to be a disciple occurs 264 times in the New Testament. Now, I'm not, maybe I'm stretching it a little bit, but I wonder whether this is a little reminder that first and foremost, we are meant to be disciples and not just do disciply things. To be followers of Jesus and not just do activities that are associated with that. There's something about the essence of who we are, our operating system, so to speak, rather than our different programs that we work. 
So discipleship, when we think about it, we often think about doing, doing Bible studies, prayer meetings, serving, church services, etc. And they are really important, but they are not the sole purpose of following Jesus. These are all ways and means to know our rabbi, to get to know our rabbi, to become like him. It's a common phrase of Christians to say that they want to grow spiritually. And I don't know what we fully understand by that terminology. I want to grow in my Christian faith. I want to grow in my spirituality. What does it mean? Because it's, it's got to mean more than just rote learning. It's got to be more than, um, do you know what book comes after Haggai in the Old Testament? It's got to be how, more than how many Bible verses do you know off by heart? These are all good, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than experience. That, oh, I've had lots of experiences. It's got to be even more than, than I feel very confident in my faith. It's got to be more than that. Growing spiritually is about the increasing growth of the character of Jesus in your life. That's the way of discipleship. Following, being, in order to become. Now, I became a Christian whenever I was 11. Um, so I don't know what age... You guys became a Christian. Give me an example. How, what age when you became a Christian? Just four, who said 14? Well done. Thank you. You're the first person to speak. Uh, what else? 11? I genuinely thought someone said 11 there. Okay. What was that, Mark? 13. 47. God bless you, my friend. 13. Yeah? Okay, well, I was thinking about this this week. I'm not sure I've become a Christian yet. The deacons are going, right, how did disciplinary policy? <laughs> I'm not sure I've become a Christian yet because I think it's a rather presumptuous thing to say. Because the word Christian means little Christ. It was a word that came about in Antioch and it was a word that was originally an insult. Insult to the people who were called the people of the way. The followers of the way. The way of Jesus. And then these bunch of people there, they follow the Christ, those, those little Christ, those Christians. And then they went, oh, I kind of like that label. And they held on to it. So I don't know. I don't know if I became a Christian at 11 because I don't know if I became a little Christ. But I do know I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. That's my heart at least. So I'm becoming a Christian. Are you? Is that our heart to become more and more like Jesus we're just coming to the end of January. I can't believe it already, but um, maybe some of us had New Year's resolutions about, you know, I'm going to um, exercise more, I'm going to keep a journal, I'm going to do whatever. And uh, maybe you've kept them, maybe you haven't. But I've got one of those little, you know, non-challenging questions for you that I think is a good one to ask at the beginning of every year. So today is the 26th of January, 2020. And a year ago, it was the 26th of January, 2019. I worked that out. Thank you. But my question is this. In that year, have I become more like Jesus? I think that's a better question to ask. And what am I going to do to improve my life this year? Am I going to uh, you know, shed some pounds? Am I going to take up a hobby? Am I going to do this, that, or the other thing? Am I going to read so many books? Am I going to watch this? Am I going to spend time with whatever? Are you sitting in this chair right now on the 22nd, 26th of January, 2020, more like Jesus today than you were a year ago?
am I? Because that's the question. Getting, we want to be involved in becoming like Jesus. And it all involves transforming. I love transformers. When I was a kid, I really loved Transformers. I really wanted Optimus Prime, this one here. I was looking at pictures of it going, oh, I was drooling. Because I wanted Optimus Prime, but we couldn't afford it. Oh, sadder than that. (laughs) But I loved Transformers. I loved even more as a 43-year-old man. This, this, this video I'm going to show you really, really excites me. And you're going to see how sad I am. I really want this costume. Watch this. How exciting is that? <laughs> a costume that transforms. How brilliant. Martin Lee's just going apoplectic. We're like, wow, I want one. He's working out how to make one. Transformation. That is the way of Jesus. He wants us to be transformed. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians that says, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, about us being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. In love divine we say, from glory, change from glory into glory. We are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That is the whole agenda. Romans 8, 29, to be conformed into the likeness of him. That is what being a disciple is all about. But how do you do that? First of all, you need to get to know him. I don't care if we are sick of the sight of this phrase that says, hashtag, do you know him? Because it is the question we need to have in front of us. Do we know Jesus enough to be more and more like him? Because it's the only way we become to be like him is by knowing him more. It's why we read scripture. But that's not some kind of self-improvement course. You know, like you can get books and programs about that and, and, and magazines bad, but instead, instead of us looking in the mirror going, this is what I need to be, I'll turn that off. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what you said for the past five minutes, but I just want that. (laughs) What I said. It's just off. It's okay. That's better. Getting to know Jesus. And then we look at ourselves and we wonder, you know, how, well, how am I going to be transformed? I, I have this phrase. I kind, of, I kind of hope I came up with it, but I suspect I didn't. Um, and I repeat it again and again and again because I hold on to it. And it's this. Jesus loves us exactly as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. Jesus loves us exactly as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. See, the thing is, we could probably come up with lots of different things that need improving. Or perhaps we go to two extremes. One extreme is, I think I'm all right. I think I'm quite Jesus-like. I'm quite nice. I say please and thank you. Um, I give a seat to my elders and and, and a pregnant lady on the bus. I'm, I'm like Jesus. How about let Jesus examine you and see if you are? Or how about maybe we're at the other end of the spectrum, which is oh, there's no way I, I, I could be accepted by Jesus because, you know, I do this and I've done that and I'm like this and I keep on doing that and I don't want to do that, but I end up doing this and I need to change this, but I know I can't and I know this and I know that. So many things need changing. How about you let Jesus examine you and tell you what needs changing? 
I'm inspired by the letters to the churches in Revelation, where Jesus um, speaks to the church, an entire gathering of people, and he says, this one thing I have against you, a church of mixed up, messed up people who are sinners saved by grace. I doubt there's just one thing that they're doing wrong. But Jesus says, this one thing I want us to look at. Whenever Jesus met people uh, when he walked this earth, people came to him for healing and he said, your sins are forgiven. But I came here because I've got this. No, 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 your sins are forgiven. That's what needs sorting out. Or he points out this sin that needs addressing. Um, how, do I, how do I get eternal life? Do I follow the commandments? Yeah, sell all you have. Uh, not so keen on that one. That's what you need to do first. Jesus knows in what order we need to change. So let's let him examine us. Not ourselves and not the opinions of others. But this involves courage to pray the great prayer at the end of Psalm 139, which says, Oh God, search me and see if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. That is the way of Jesus, the way of holiness. And we may find that we're saying like a, a child, am I nearly there yet? And Jesus says, no. And you go, great. But then Jesus says, yeah, but look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. We can always become more like Jesus. And we are on a journey to do that. We are works in progress, changing from glory into glory. And it happens the more time we spend with him because we have our responsibility, our individual responsibility for our discipleship in Jesus. We have to keep ourselves, we have to keep a connection that is alive with Jesus, active, growing in order to become like him and before we go out and serve him. And at SBC, you know that Lisa and I feel called to teach the word of God. That's our calling, that's our passion, that's what we want to do. And we love worship in this place. But let me tell you, you cannot thrive, you cannot even survive on a weekly feast. You have to survive on feeding every day. No matter how good and whatever you, your church you go to, however good the preaching is, the teaching is, the worship is, you cannot survive on a weekly feast. You need to feed daily. And that's one of the things Rick Warren of the Saddleback Church is really passionate about. He's spoken about wanting to see his congregation being self-feeders of the word, not just taking from those who are standing on the stage. And there's loads of ways we can do that. I'm sorry, Broken record. You want to grow to be like Jesus? Read your Bible, pray every day. If you want to grow. Everyone's singing that song now, if you recognize it. How do we do it? There's so many things out there. There are Bible study notes, Every Day with Jesus, Daily Bread, the Life series that, that the Bible Society does. A lot of these are online or they're apps, like the Bible in one year. Read God's Word, not just read it, but see what He's like within it. Some of us are following this thing called Lectio 365 from 24-7 Prayer, where you are praying uh, kind of their office through the Scriptures. It's absolutely beautiful. And it, it makes you spend time with Jesus. These are all ways that we can use things. But there's one thing that we have to have in order to grow to be like Jesus. And that is time. We need to invest our time in spending time with Jesus. That is how we change. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is to change us to be like Jesus. We're called to be disciples, followers, apprentices of Jesus, of being with him in order to know him and so increasingly to become like him. But let's go back to this mandate that God has given us and a mandate that we take seriously as a church increasingly. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is a story, this is a command to the disciples. We know what a disciple is, following the way of Jesus. And the command is, go and make disciples. Notice what it doesn't say. It does not say, go and make converts. And we've misunderstood that as a church for so many years. We've got people who come to meetings and they commit their lives to Jesus and we celebrate. And then what happens next? A few years ago, we were running the Alpha course here. Um, And we stopped running it. And the reason we stopped running it is because it worked. That's kind of odd, isn't it? It worked. People came to know Jesus. But we stopped it. Why? Because people came to know Jesus and they were left to their own devices by the body of Christ. And people fell away. And you could sit there and go, well, clearly you guys didn't do your job. Wrong. We didn't do our job. Because it's the job of the body of Christ to disciple one another. It's not enough just to take people, kind of make a commitment. And it was interesting, I had a conversation with people at CAP just recently, and they were saying that they've seen and experienced people on their discovery breaks, committing their lives to Jesus, and then having nowhere to go, no church to to associate with, and no one to look after them, to root them down, to bed them down. And uh, whenever we do the Alpha Course now, whenever we do street outreach, there's something which I say to the team. I say, if you have the utter privilege of leading someone to Jesus, hallelujah, but you've got the responsibility to make sure they're discipled because we're called to make disciples, not converts. But beyond that, it's not just this discipleship responsibility is not just for those who recently met Jesus. Actually, we all need this. And we're going to need more people to be disciplers because there are more people coming to know Jesus in this time. We've seen that. We've rejoiced over it. We're going to need people to stand up and say, I'm prepared to disciple. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. It doesn't say, chivy everyone along the church because there they'll build you up. No, we are to encourage and build up one another. It's a mutual thing. That's the importance of small groups, of prayer triplets, of accountability partners, of coming to courses like Alpha and Roots and the Bible course or whatever. We are discipling one another. So my question is, here's you in all your glory. Do you recognize yourself? And my question is, who is your discipler? Who are you going to to be fed, encouraged, and built up by? And you probably guess the next bit is, who is your disciple Who are you going, I could get alongside this person and share a little bit of my journey? And it can be either side as well, peers walking alongside one another. We are called to disciple one another, but the question is, how? And with that, we come to our passage that we looked at very briefly. Because I think there's a crisis of confidence amongst a lot of us that think that we we can't disciple. Let's have a look at Philip's story. I was really, I had a lot lot written down. I just couldn't land this when I was starting to write it. I said, God, I really need something to kind of hook this on. And the Lord dropped this passage in my mind. Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. So you might want to have it open if you're keeping notes, just a few points that will hopefully remind us actually what discipleship looks like 
I think this is a great microcosm of what discipleship is. Okay, so let's have a very quick look as we go through these things. First of all, um, in verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit says, Go! Phil doesn't say, right, where to? Because I don't want to go until you tell me. He said, go. And he went, all right, I'm off. And he goes. The Holy Spirit prompts. It's an echo from Matthew 28. Go. Not just sit there and wait. Philip went. He obeyed to a destination unknown. He followed the prompt of God. I want to ask, have you got any prompts of God in your life about where he wants you to be? It could be um, getting involved with something like Alpha or Roots or going along and being at the Wellbeing Cafe or being a befriender or working with youth and children or any other ways of ministering, of just being. What is the prompt that God is giving you, the nudge to say, go? Maybe no answer of where to, but just go. And Philip goes. And it says on his way, in response to this prompting, on his way he met And he stayed near. It's a coincidence, isn't it? It just so happened, as he was walking down a road that the Holy Spirit told him to go down to, he comes across another person who's coming a completely different journey. And they happen to kind of collide together. People call that coincidence. Some people call it God incidence. I think the latter. When we meet people at Alpha or Cap or wherever, and we discover the person I've sat beside who's randomly been put beside me. Oh, we come from the same city, the same town. We support the same football team. We read the same books. We click. We have a chemistry. We make friends. And we go, isn't that weird? No, it's not. It's called God. Or maybe you're walking down the street and you have no idea why you've gone down that particular avenue. And there you go. You bump into someone. You go, isn't that odd? No, it's not. It's God. It's not odd. I just realized that rhymes. <laughs> And who does he bump into? He bumps into an Ethiopian eunuch. The wrong person, actually, for Philip. Philip was a Jew. Um, He was a follower of Jesus. And he bumps into a foreigner. A very foreigner. He's from Ethiopia. And not just a foreigner. He's from a different class. He's from the high ruling class. He looks after the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's he's like the head of the treasury. He's, He's the one who has the signature at the bottom of the banknotes. This is a really important guy. And he's a eunuch, which means that he's unclean. Philip shouldn't be talking to him at all. In fact, it's weird. He's actually a seeker after God. He's gone to worship at Jerusalem. And he's gone to worship, but he would have been told, no, you can't go any further because you're a eunuch and you're a foreigner. So really, you know, just stay in this court here. He couldn't access God. And he's sitting there, he's reading Isaiah, and he's confused. So the question is, are you prepared to meet and get alongside someone who is completely different to you? Completely different. That you think, what would I have in common with? Actually, let God decide that. And then he just stays near it. In verse 29, it says, Philip just stayed near the chariot. He walked at the same pace as the Ethiopian's carriage. He was in the right place at the right time, and he was prepared to take the opportunity when it arose. He was there in preparation of taking the opportunity. Are you ready? Are you in the right places, the right situations, just in case God says, this person needs to talk to you? And the good thing about it is that Philip took the opportunity. How often have, have you fallen into this trap where you go, um, okay, I will tell this person about Jesus if they ask. <laughs> if they don't ask, they obviously God doesn't want me to tell them. <laughs> and we excuse ourselves. 
Philip was prompted by the Holy Spirit, walks alongside and is waiting for another nudge. And then an opportunity arises and he takes it. What if Philip hadn't taken it? But he waited for the Ethiopian. It may never have happened. Be brave, be bold. But yet, like Philip, he just said, do you not understand? He didn't say, oi, I'll explain that to you. He said, do you not understand? And it says, unless someone explains, he didn't understand. My friends, we've got lots of people out there who are searching. They don't know who this Jesus is. They want someone to tell them because the world is telling them who Jesus is and is not the Jesus that we worship. They need someone to tell them about the good news because the good news is someone with sandals and socks and a rainbow guitar strap singing Kumbaya. That is not the gospel. It's not all of it. Literally, he gets alongside. He doesn't force his way on. He waits for an offer. We wait for an invite. It's respectful. It's loving. It's a Jesus way. And I know that I've certainly put my foot in it on occasion of going in full guns blazing. Instead, get alongside. That is one of the best definitions of discipleship that I know. Get alongside someone. But what have I got? What have I got to give? And so I believe we have a big crisis of confidence. What have I got to give to someone else. The big answer is you have got to give you to another person. That's what you've got. We move on. The important thing is scripture. Scripture is vital in discipleship. In verse 32, he's reading from Isaiah 53. If he gets alongside and buddies up, that's important. That's friendship. That's not discipleship. For discipleship, there needs to be gospel. There needs to be God's word input. There has to be, otherwise it's just being friends, which is nice, but it's not discipleship. Let's not fool ourselves. When we meet up together as prayer triplets, as accountability partners, and all we've talked about is how the last week has been. We say a quick prayer and we go. That's not discipleship. It's part of it, but it's not totally it. The Bible is powerful. 2 Timothy 3.16. God breathed God's word for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training and righteousness. The knowledge of who Jesus is, the gospel of his love, it's found in the inspired words of scripture. It is the key way that God has given for us to get to know him. Can we take that a bit more seriously, my friends? But when you read the Bible, it's confusing. I love this guy. I have no idea what this is on about. And so the eunuch asks his questions. Philip doesn't go, that's, that's a good question, but what you really want to ask is this. He asks his questions. We do that in Alpha. It's one of the first things you're taught as a leader. You respect people's questions. And you try to answer them or address them appropriately. But you do not say, that's a good question. Let me tell you something else. Philip started where this guy was at. He didn't start away up here at all. We don't talk theology. We talk Jesus. What could Philip have shared? He could have shared deep, Christological, theological, biblical exegesis, but he didn't. What he did share was his Jesus story. Jesus who he'd walked with throughout Galilee for three years. Jesus who he'd seen nailed to a cross. Jesus who he'd seen risen from the dead. Jesus whose spirit had come upon him. He was sharing his Jesus story. That's all he was doing. Do you think you could do that with another person? Just share your Jesus experience because it's all about him. And then just briefly moving on, they continued on together for a time. This was not a hit and run, although it was quite short. They continued on for a time. 
And discipleship partnerships, discipler, disciplee, small groups, partnerships uh, for prayer, triplets, it isn't forever. It's for seasons sometimes because situations change. They continue together until a moment of commitment. How about this? Some of your friends who aren't Christians yet are already on the path of discipleship. And at some point in that journey, they will make a commitment. I've got a friend who um, I know is on the path of discipleship. They would not call themselves Christians. They've not made a commitment, but I know that God is at work in their lives. And I know that we'll probably sit down and talk about the Bible at some point. And they'll be learning about Jesus. And then at some point, I do believe that, that they will make a commitment to Jesus, just like this Ethiopian. It's God who is at work, not us. And then what's really key after they continued together is that they separated. They separated. Philip disappears in verse 40 and goes to Azotus and preaches the gospel. The eunuch goes on his way rejoicing. Why? Because he's been transformed. He's had an encounter with Jesus. And we are meant to be not just disciples, but disciple-making disciples. So Philip goes off and he preaches the gospel. What about the eunuch? Well, we don't hear anything more about him in Scripture, but Irenaeus, the church, um, church, early church father in the second century, says this. This guy's got a name. He said his name is Simon Bacchus, the eunuch. He was also sent to Ethiopia to preach what he believed. One God, preached by the prophets, the Son of God, appeared in the flesh, led like sheep to the slaughter. And you know what? The Ethiopian Orthodox Church can trace their lineage back to that guy. So Philip, after the prompting of the Holy Spirit, is walking alongside a guy, happens to meet him. He asks him, do you understand what you're doing? He says, no, I don't. Come on, talk to me. He tells the story of Jesus. And at some point, this guy makes commitment, is baptized, goes off rejoicing, and then a whole country is transformed. You never know the impact you're going to make as a disciple on someone. You don't know. How exciting is that? We are called to be disciple-making disciples. I've asked Emma if she'll come. She thought she got out of it. Um, about her role as a disciple-making disciple. We've not rehearsed this at all. No. So I don't know what you're going to say. Um, just tell us from what we've heard about your experience. Uh, so about 18 months or so ago, on and off course um, and I knew her reasonably well at that point but not really well uh, and Phil came up to me a few months later and said I've got a little job for you to do and I was like oh so could you be he didn't call it discipling he said uh, could you be a sort of big sister in the faith to this neighbour of mine who happens to be Phil's sister-in-law um, <laughs> uh, and I was really excited about it, actually. I was, yeah, I did like the idea, but I was like, I'm not sure that Phil realised this, but I was like, I, don't, I haven't really done that before, Phil. I don't really know uh, what you want me to do. So Phil said, well, just go round and read through Mark's Gospel with her. So I was like, oh, I can probably manage that. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, so we did. So Sarah Bob's my neighbour. She said I could talk about her, so that's fine. I happened to be meeting with her when Phil texted me about doing this. So, um, yeah, uh, I tried to persuade her to come along and join in, but she wasn't so happy with that bit. Uh, so, yeah, so we started meeting, um, and the first thing that really I loved about it was hearing her pray. I was just, yeah, she's quite, she's a very, she's good at chatting, uh, and she's also really good at chatting to God, and, 
Yeah, I was really enjoyed that experience. I remember the first couple of times going home and saying to people, oh, it's amazing, you know, hearing someone pray who hasn't had a faith for very long. Um, yeah, so we meet, we have a cup of tea, we chat about our children and our, the school and the little close that we live in. It's quite a little place. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then we open the Bible and we read the next bit of Mark's Gospel. Now, we have been meeting for about a year and a half, and we are not through Mark's Gospel yet. So we are not going very fast. She's had a Bible. Oh, she's not had a Bible. She's had a baby. <laughs> In the time that we've been meeting, so, you know, meetings have sort of got a bit put to the side when she needed to sleep and look after children and, you know, be pregnant. And so, uh, yeah, so it's taken us a little while, but every time we've sort of put it aside for a bit and then we've picked it up again. And, um, yeah, I have really enjoyed it. It's just been lovely to see, you know, to look at Jesus in the Bible and to see him through the eyes of someone who hasn't read these stories very much before. Um, and, yeah, I think we've both learned to see Jesus slightly differently. Um, yeah. And I've been really impressed by how the Bible, um, just reading the Bible, we don't even have any questions. We really do just read the Bible and then chat. Um, and sometimes I get a bit stuck on, you know, what are these Pharisees doing? And she I have to explain all of that a bit. But, you know, sometimes I look at it before I go around and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I Google things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've been really stuck. But although we have... You know, we've learned about the person of Jesus. We've also talked about lots of different issues because that comes up as you read the stories of Jesus through the Bible and different people who meet him. So, you know, we've talked about money and marriage and children and uh, death and illness. And, you know, all of those things come up as you just read. You don't necessarily... I thought, you know, when Phil asked me, I was like, oh, can we not have some questions or, you know, a Bible study book to look at? But, no, this actually has worked really well. Um, and, yeah, we've become really good friends. And I think, I mean, I've been really, really blessed by it. It sometimes is the absolute highlight of my week. Um, and I think Bob's. Well, Bob's hasn't stopped doing it yet. So <laughs> when sign. we get to the end of Mark, I might have to come to Phil and ask what to do next, which is coming up soon. So. Brilliant. Thank you, Emma. Guys, come ashore. Please stand. Like so much about... Following Jesus, it's actually really very simple. It's just learning about Jesus and walking alongside. So I want to challenge you. Have you got someone to disciple? Would you be willing? Be brave. Go to someone you know and say, hey, do you want to read the Bible together? Just for two weeks, three weeks, four months? Scare them four years? Uh, be brave. Take an opportunity. Ask God for that prompt. Who do you want me to get alongside? Bring someone alongside me, please. Ask us. We might not know the answer. We might not know the person. But ask God. I want to be a disciple of you. More than that, I want to be a disciple-making disciple because that is what this church is about. Amen? Amen. 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 Dave.